Welcome to Kings River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast, where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by local actors. This episode features an excerpt from Renovated to Death, the first domestic partners in crime mystery by Frank Anthony Polito. It's read by local actor Ian Jones. Renovated to Death was published in May of 2022 by Kensington and is available for purchase. If you'd like to help support this podcast, listen for details in the closing of this episode on how to become a patron and get some fun perks. After a successful first season of Domestic Partners, chronicling the renovation of their historic Craftsman Colonial, Peter and JP are taking on a renovation of a local Tudor revival inherited by identical twin brothers Terry and Tom Cash. But linoleum floors and pink-tiled bathroom aren't the only unwelcome surprises awaiting inside the house. Just as the show is set to start filming, Peter and JP discover Tom Cash dead at the foot of the house's staircase. And when the police ruling changes from accidental death to homicide, the list of suspects grows fast. Could the killer be the crabby next-door neighbor? The realtor ex-boyfriend? The bartender ex-boyfriend? The other, much younger ex-boyfriend? Or even renovation-reluctant brother Terry? And what's that awful smell coming from the basement? Now, Peter's mystery writer skills and JP's experience as the former star of a cop show will be put to the test, as will their relationship, while they uncover the secrets of the house and its owners. With a killer on the loose, this is one fixer-upper that may prove deadly. Renovated to Death by Frank Anthony Polito Chapter 1 The handsome older man looked deep into my eyes. So, what's it feel like being famous? Clearly he was flirting. I blushed and took a sip of my Sauvignon Blanc, my favorite. Well, I'm hardly famous. <laughs> You're on a TV show, and you've written all those best-selling books. I blushed again. They're not all bestsellers. Being the co-host of a popular home renovation program has indeed given my sales figures a boost, but along with a rigorous production schedule came little time for other creative outlets like penning the next great American YA mystery novel. The handsome older man gave my hand a paternal pat. You're a modest young boy. I'm a big fan of your writing. That's very kind, I say, draining my wine glass. But I'm hardly a boy. The handsome older man grinned. Okay, I'm fifty. How old are you? The same age Jesus was when he died. I replied, coyly, before coming clean. I'll be 34 in November. Really? You don't look a day over 27. Like a lot of gay millennial men, I suffered from self-inflicted Peter Pan syndrome. My first name was, in fact, Peter, so it made perfect sense. Inside, I did feel like a man in his early-late 20s. Outside, my behavior and personal style often reflected as much. I had a preference for pullovers and wore size-small everything, purchased online, of course, because who had time to go shopping? The handsome older man looked to his left. This one's a keeper. We weren't alone. This wasn't a date. It was a dinner party. We were only two of half a dozen guests in attendance. The handsome younger man sitting opposite me shrugged. Almost five years I've been stuck with this one, huh, Pete? My life partner who also happened to be my reality TV show co-host, winked at me. J.P. Broadway, 
star of screens both big and small, was by far the most beautiful man I'd ever laid my eyes on. Tall, dark, and sexy didn't even begin to describe him. At thirty-five, dressed in a blue polo that hugged his baseball biceps and made his bright eyes pop, he still looked gorgeous. Five years! A crass voice chimed in from the head of the antique oak dining table. And you're still not married? You better do it before you guys turn forty. You want to look good in your wedding photo. Our host, Bob, raised a glass of red wine in a jovial toast. To PJ and JP, Mazel tov. PJ and JP. Yes, it could be confusing. Growing up, I'd always been called Peter by family and friends. When I first met JP, for some reason, he took a liking to calling me Pete. Then, when I turned from unpaid playwright to published author, PJ Penwell sprang to life. The J standing for James after my father. As a lapsed Catholic, JP didn't care much for being called John Paul. When he joined the Actors' Union, he officially became known by his first two initials. Shortly after we started dating, he landed a gig on the highest-rated cop drama of the day, Brooklyn Beat. I couldn't ask my brand-new boyfriend to adopt a brand-new stage moniker just because my publisher felt that PJ on a dust jacket would sell more books. Thanks, Bob, I said graciously to the only straight guy out of six seated around the table. Bob turned his attention back to the handsome older man beside me. He snickered like a cartoon character. So, Tommy, where's your boy toy tonight? And he wondered why, on more than one occasion, people had mistaken him for a member of the pink team. Hell if I know, Tom Cash replied, rolling his dark eyes. Think he's mad at me. Uh-oh. Tell Fairway Bob what you did wrong. Perhaps it was because he preferred the company of men who loved other men. Perhaps it was because he was the proud proprietor of an antique shop. Or perhaps it was because at the ripe old age of fifty, Bob Kravitz still had found himself a bachelor. Being in his neighborhood for the past nine months, J.P. and I did our best not to hold his heterosexuality against him. In private, we referred to Bob as a hetmo, our preferred pet name for hetero guys who could easily pass for homo. Back in the day, in New York, folks would use the term metrosexual. Same diff, only less mainstream. Bob's real name, of course, was Robert. On social media, he was known to everyone as Fairway Bob, after the street in which he lived and where J.P. and I also resided, in the sleepy Detroit suburb of Pleasant Woods. Situated between upscale Royal Heights to the north and modest Fenridge to the south, a mere 1,500 residents made their home here. On the west side of Woodward Avenue, the main thoroughfare that bisected the community, lavish dwellings rested on oversized lots belonging to the upper middle class. The east side, affectionately dubbed Peasant Woods, gave way to smaller properties whose owners, while still well-off, earned far smaller incomes. It was here, on the first block of Fairway Lane, that we'd found ourselves sitting in Bob Kravitz's beautiful arts and crafts style bungalow. The charming house, located at number three, had been a favorite of ours since moving in next door. We admired the low-pitched roof and great porch supported by two pillars on either side and a half column in the center. 
The avocado-colored cedar shake siding and exposed rafter tails contributed to the overall classic character. The interior was a craftsman aficionado's dream come true. Dark, quarter-sawn oak trimmed the windows and doorways, while tall wainscot patterns covered the dining room walls, complete with a wide plate rail running along the top. On the white oak floors lay the finest of floral-patterned William Morris wool rugs right out of a Frank Lloyd Wright catalog. The vintage furnishings, mostly mission in style, came direct from the business that Fairway Bob operated, a vintage furniture store called Somewhere in Time, after a favorite movie filmed at the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island. Stained glass table, lamps, and pendant chandeliers gave off an amber glow, making the home feel extra warm and cozy, particularly on evenings spent in good company. What did I do wrong? Tom Cash wondered aloud in response to Bob's inquiry about his young boyfriend's whereabouts. A big, fat nothing. He held up his large hand in innocence before blushing with guilt. Okay, maybe I flirted a little with a cutie pie on lads for dads. Tom took out his cell phone and opened up the gay dating app. Oh, look, he tapped a thick finger to the screen and swiped. There he is now, Hunter 27. Only 0.5 miles away. From where he sat, opposite Fairway Bob and directly to Tom Cash's left, Campbell Sellers took notice of the fancy mobile device. Is that new? Only the best for my brother. The comment directed at Tom came from his identically handsome and equally gay twin Terry. He sat across the table to J.P.'s right, sulking into his lemon-lime LaCroix, totally sober. Both men were similarly dressed in dark hoodies and athletic wear that showed off their fit physiques. Other than the opposing ball caps they sported, the men came off as carbon copies. Tom's was blue with gold M for Michigan, and Terry's white with a green S for state. Got mine the other day. Cam, as I'd called him since freshman year at Madison Park High School, reached into the linen jacket he wore and pulled out his own brand new smartphone, similar to the one Tom Cash held in his not-so-little hand. As the top realtor around, Campbell Sellers had to keep abreast of all the current high-tech trends. The guy sold more houses than any other real estate agent in Metro Detroit. Look at you being all professional, I said, complimenting Cam on his new purchase. Hey, can I see? Cam handed me the shiny gadget. Careful, all my contacts are in there. If I lose it, I'm up the creek. It felt so much lighter than the phone I'd been lugging around for as long as I can remember. The pristine glass glistened like a sheet of ice. We need a couple of these, I told JP, jealous of my longtime best friend's latest find. Tell Ursula to get us a pair for next season, okay? Why do I need to tell her? JP clapped back. She's your producer, too. But she's your best friend. She gave you your own TV show. She'll get you a couple new phones if you ask her, I'm sure. JP shook his head, not wanting to rehash this familiar conversation. It was almost as old as our relationship, and oh so typical. The single, straight woman pining away for the unavailable gay man. Not that I didn't love Ursula. Without her, there'd be no domestic partners on home design TV. 
Ursula knew we'd been talking about moving to Michigan, where my aging parents and sister still lived. As part of her brilliant pitch to the network, the premise for the show involved a handy gay couple who purchased an old house and complete the renovations over the course of a 10-episode arc, all the while bickering back and forth, albeit affectionately, and providing some requisite eye candy for HDTV's 1.1 million viewers, mostly women and gay men. From the living room, above the natural fireplace, the mantel's clock struck nine. Terry, the other handsome gay twin, tossed his cloth napkin aside and abruptly stood up. Sorry, guys, I gotta go. Come on, Ter, Tom groaned. You can't take off before we seal the deal with these TV dudes, okay? Judging by his dominant disposition, I deemed Tom the alpha of the duo. Terry sank back into his seat. The old wood chair crackled beneath his solid frame. Right, the deal. From his lackluster tone, I got the impression that Terry Cash wasn't nearly as eager as his identical sibling to be taking part in this negotiation. So, what do you guys say? Tom Cash slyly looked my way, then over at JP. Want to do this with me and my brother or not? I glanced at JP across the table, giving him silent permission to speak on our behalf. We're definitely interested, my partner assured the handsome older man. Aren't we, Pete? Uh, for sure. But we need to see what you're offering before we can make up our minds. I couldn't help but feeling anxious becoming involved with these equally handsome strangers. As a young gay man, I'd befriended my fair share of attractive older gay guys. The relationships had always begun out of some mutual interest, a fascinating film we'd both enjoyed, a memorable experience at the same expensive restaurant, a page-turning novel neither one of us could put down. Despite my upfront declaration of domestic partnerdom, the mature man would inevitably cross the line or, God forbid, say or do something totally inappropriate. His unwelcome advances would cause me to feel totally uncomfortable, but being the polite person my parents raised, I feign feeling flattered in order not to cause him embarrassment. In the end, I'd pretty much have to ghost the guy, hoping he'd get the hint and just go away. This would cause me to feel as if I'd done something wrong when all I'd wanted to do was be a decent human being. The Cash brothers were another story altogether. Two older gay men meant double the odds for lascivious lechery. Alas, JP and I had no other choice. We both desperately needed to get in bed with these guys. Uh, figuratively, not literally. Awesome. Tom drained his after-dinner drink. Bourbon my favorite. Swing by the house in the morning. I'll give you the grand tour. How's ten o'clock? Actually, we've got a previous appointment, JP said, politely declining Tom's invitation. Cam raised a suspicious eyebrow. What appointment would that be? Suddenly, he gasped in horror. You guys aren't adopting a baby, are you? God, no! I swallowed my last bite of apple crumble, trying not to choke at Cam's question. But close. We're adopting a dog, JP clarified for everyone's benefit, sounding super excited. Well, we're meeting a dog that we're hoping to adopt. OMG! Cam cheered in approval. I want to see a picture. 
Now that the pending new puppy was out of the bag, I couldn't resist being braggadocious. I pulled out my phone, opened the photo stream, and found an image that I'd saved off the Dog Rescue's website. His name is Clyde. I humbly bragged, flashing the pic at everyone sitting around the table, JP included, who'd seen it at least a hundred times since I'd first discovered the adorable image on Adopt-A-Pet app a few weeks ago. The reluctant subject was a tiny white doggy with brown brindle markings on the right side of his face and a half-moon-shaped patch over his left almond-shaped eye. His head tilted to one side ever so slightly as he stared sadly into the camera. He had the stubbiest little legs and the tiniest pink toenails I ever did see. We were both madly in puppy love, JP and me, with Mr. Clyde Barker, as we planned to christen him on his official adoption papers. Cam squealed at the sight of the little dog, all bundled up in a tiny red puffy coat. I love his little jacket! Oh, fairway Bob gushed as he gazed at our would-be pup's picture. He looks so sad. You boys better bring Mr. Clyde home. Fingers crossed, said JP, doing just that. We're meeting him at the pet store in the morning. This reading of Renovated to Death was produced by Kings River Life and directed by Lori Lewis Ham. You can learn more about the author on his website, frankanthonypolito.wixsite.com website. If you'd like to help us be able to continue to bring you more mystery fun, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash kingsriverlife. You know, even a dollar a month can make a difference and we could really use your support. Watch for even more great perks coming up soon for our patrons. And we'd like to give a shout out and say thank you to our new patron, Kate Wagner. We also have some cool merchandise available on Redbubble. Check the show notes for the link and for the links to our websites and social media. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode and subscribe to our podcast newsletter for bonus content. And if you enjoy this episode, please rate or review it as this helps make us easier for others to find. And of course, please be sure to tell your friends. Until next time, this is your announcer wishing you a life full of mystery. Mystery.